Welcome to episode 44 of the Owl and Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen. And we are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to current events and pursue truth as we seek to live for Christ. Good morning, Helen. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Good. How have you been these last uh, few weeks since yeah, our last, last pod? It's been a while. Um, yeah, I've been good. Um, I suppose trying to get ready for Christmas. I don't feel very Christmassy yet. No, um, it's actually, I, <laughs> yes, because obviously we put this podcast out on um, uh, audio only, but, but when we record it, we can see each other and, and it, your your house doesn't look Christmassy at all. No. No, there's nothing. There's no, absolutely well, nothing. Maybe you're no. in a different time zone to everybody else, Helen. No, in my house, nothing gets Christmassy until about the week before Christmas. Really? And then everything stays up till Twelfth Night. So that's always the case. But it does mean that I am all a bit last minute. Uh, so you see, I would have had you down as a kind of person who'd like, you know, mid-November... The no. tree would be up, the tinsel no. would be up, because oh, no. I know that you <laughs> really go for the inflatable snowman thing yeah. on the front garden. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, it's all good, isn't it? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, right. Well, we've got a few things we wanted to talk about. We wanted to get at least one podcast in before the end of the year. Um, and uh, I can't believe the it's it's another year gone by. It's, it, yeah. it's, it flies by, doesn't it? It does. It when does you're happen. having fun. <laughs> you're having fun or when you're just getting older, I think. That is also <laughs> the other thing. It does seem to be that way. Anyway, so we wanted to talk about a few um, few subjects which some will be familiar to you and when we and by the way when we talk about subjects that we talked about before it's not because we um we don't know what to say or we haven't got anything else to talk about it's because we think it's important and uh, and one of these subjects is of course going to be the whole thing from covid which is why partly why we started this podcast um in the first place but the reason we're mentioning it today is because in the united kingdom there is currently an inquiry which is um, ongoing and uh, it's been going for quite a while now. It's called the UK COVID-19 inquiry and it was set up to examine the UK's response to and the impact of COVID-19 and to learn lessons for the future. Now, that's not our words, that's that's the government's words on that. Have, have you been following it at all, Helen? In, in terms of like ongoing following and looking at any particular aspect of it? Well, I would say I've been following it quite loosely. I haven't been deliberately tuning in to listen to it. Um, I did by accident listen to a bit the other day when it came on in the car and I listened to Boris Johnson and the, then listened to the um, the people who were commentating on it and... Mm-hmm. Um, it was like going back in time it was as if i was going back to 2020 and listening to the people on the radio it's like nothing had changed they were talking in exactly the same way and um yeah so no i think if i listened to it too much i'd just get very frustrated i i saw a clip um a few days ago where uh um, Rishi Sunak was being um, interrogated about his WhatsApp messages, and and it's it's fascinating listening to somebody in government uh, sound totally 
incompetent. So he was he was basically saying, um, I I no longer have access to my WhatsApp messages from that period when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer because he's changed his phone a number of times <laughs> since then. All right. <laughs> now, if we were still running off Nokia 3310s, when you remember when you changed your phone and you had to load all your contacts onto the SIM card and yeah. any messages onto the SIM card and you got your new phone and then you had to transfer your contacts from your SIM card, which came out of your old phone. Do you remember that? That was the only way yeah. to get any meaningful data from your old phone into your new phone. Mm. Now, if, if Rishi Sunak, Dominic Cummings the whole lot of them were still on Nokia 3310s. I could, you know, we could cut them some slack here, couldn't we, Helen? But they're not. They're on shiny new, brand new iPhones. And funnily enough, an iPhone has a backup in it, doesn't it? I mean, WhatsApp is backed up normally, unless you specifically turn it off. And you have Apple iCloud, you've got Google Drive, you've got other options to back up your um, data on your phone. Why? So if in case you lose your phone or maybe you change your phone, all your data comes with you. So what's he suggesting? That all his contacts were, were not transferred over? I mean, it's just it's just They just think we're stupid, don't they? They do think, they, they <laughs> do. They they do. They lie and they think we're, we're stupid. So, I mean, yeah. I mean that, that's not a big issue, but it's worth, worth pointing out because, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, something like this. But, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we can, we can, uh, we can assume that there is no real interrogation um, and, and I think as well, we can, we can probably predict the conclusion of this inquiry after vast yeah. expense, expense, sorry, which is probably going to be something along the lines of we should have locked down earlier. We should have locked down harder. Lockdown saved lives. The vaccines are safe. It was a tremendous success. And we just need to do more of the same next time. Yeah, that, that will be the conclusion. There's no doubt. Yeah. I would I would like to know. I mean, I just it just seems to me that they're asking the wrong questions. For example, why aren't they asking why why are they, why are they not asking that they had this thing called the UK influenza preparedness strategy from 2011? Why didn't they follow that, for example? Why why didn't they why didn't they put into practice all the things that they prepared and and went through actual exercises? Well, Instead, the thing they is, went I, to, they went completely against a lot of that, didn't they? They did. And I've heard them saying that, um, you know, they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. Well, the reason they're saying that is because, of course, the plan that they had in place didn't include things like lockdowns. It no. didn't include things like let's create a vaccine in five minutes. Because no, it was such a stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it would cause such real devastating harm for people and sadly continues to do so in the case of the vaccine. Well, actually, the, lock, the lock, lockdowns, the the effect of lockdowns can be can be felt now quite quite easily sadly um i think as well that it'll be part of the conclusion will be probably i mean we we can't see into the future obviously so we're 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 making some uh, predictions here but the conclusion would be no one acted in bad faith mistakes were actually accidents people were doing their best um and yet it's kind of odd, isn't it, that, that much of the rest of the world 
made exactly the same mistakes and uh, and did exactly the same things. So when they try and make out, make out to be like, well, this is just about Dominic Cummings, it's nonsense. You know, there's there's Dominic Cummings in lots of other countries around the world. For example, <laughs> it's not just the UK. We're all doing the same thing. You know, is a penny dropping yet? Is this ringing any bells? Well, just um, just um, a little <clears throat> sideline on that. When we were saying about lockdowns and the effects, I mean, I I doubt they're going to discuss that in any great detail at all. But I was, uh, we were having a chat a few of us last night, and and it was so sobering. We're just saying that the children who were at the top of primary school when mm. all this started, mm. they are now coming towards the top of secondary school. And those particular year groups, we were talking about all of the problems yep. that we're seeing in the children that we know about in those in those age groups. And it is mushrooming. It is really, really. And I think if you talk to any teachers, you'll find, find that that is the case. We're yep. only just beginning to start to see the implications of what we did to those children. I, I think sadly that is um, that is spot on, um, and it was. It, I think it was the the rapidity with which we decided to to do all these bonkers things instead of stopping and saying, "Hold on a sec, this is actually really important. Are we sure about this?" Um, and really, I think the speed at which um, the country fell into line behind the tyranny is is deeply concerning and and I think that is still there and come the next thing the mm-hmm. same thing will happen again and we'll come on come on to that uh, in in a minute I think but I think this this so-called inquiry I mean it's a joke really is is essentially about rewriting history to fit the narrative. Um, one person said this inquiry is is, is a rearguard action covering the COVID retreat. Um, others have pointed out um, both, uh, yeah, I mean, statisticians, professionals, medical professionals, commentators, that, that this was a, a fake pandemic in the sense that um, it didn't match the actual historical definition of what a pandemic should be and and really the whole covid exercise was a power grab and a mechanism to put controls in place for the future so you got things like apps contact tracing lockdowns procedures and as we said before you know the the things like the track and trace app all that infrastructure all that technical infrastructure is now in place just because it's not being used at the moment does not mean it's not going to be used again it's there for for a reason Mm. i'm sadly and and I think we have mentioned this before, but it is also worth reminding ourselves that the World Health Organization, um, or the WHO, they, they actually changed the definition of a pandemic in 2009. And they changed the definition in order for it to be much looser, uh, essentially with no requirement for anyone to have died. And they, they changed it by excluding reference to the words with enormous numbers of deaths and illnesses. So before 2009, the actual definition of a pandemic, according to the World Health Organization, included enormous numbers of deaths and illnesses. And now it doesn't, strangely enough. And following, uh, well, a few weeks after they changed that definition, 
and this was back in 2009, they had the um, so-called H1N1 flu pandemic, despite minuscule numbers of deaths. And the WHO declared that a pandemic. And interestingly, governments all over the world had uh, signed what you, what could be termed sleeping contracts with pharmaceutical firms to buy flu vaccines in the event of a pandemic. And of course, this triggered the sleeping contracts worth billions. And of course, the governments were also legally obliged to buy up and distribute untested flu vaccines. And these actually caused serious lifelong side effects in over 1,300 children. So this is back in 2009. And again, legal immunity meant no pharmaceutical firm paid any compensation. Um, instead, reparations were paid by taxpayers. And furthermore, many of the scientists, so-called scientists, who advised the WHO declare a pandemic, so the scientists who basically said to the WHO, look, this is going to be a pandemic, were later revealed to have financial interests in vaccine manufacturers. This is all back in 2009. That doesn't mm. sound familiar at all, does it, Helen? No, not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is what we are this is what we are are dealing with, isn't it? You got any, you you got anything you wanted to add on that one at all? Um well, just I was just thinking of um I was listening to um Dr. Claire Craig the other day who was talking about her new book which um which I must get um sounds fascinating so I was listening to her speaking about it and it's going into lots of different things about the whole covid situation and what happened and and one of the points she makes uh, is when she's talking about like um the black death and obviously we think mm. of that as the big big pandemic but but even with that that um there are question marks over things like um, how deaths were recorded and and what the deaths actually were in terms of what was actually going on at the time and um, you know these 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 things are complicated and and we now know although they're not going to admit it are they with things like w with the COVID situation that that there's a lot of muddied water because of the definitions of who died from or with covid mm, and what yeah, about yeah. the underlying normal deaths that happened through influenza through pneumonias through all you know the respiratory viruses um so you know this idea that you can just call a pandemic or you can just state that we're in a pandemic situation um yeah it's a it's it it's is. a dicey topic, really. It, it is. And of course, the the, the World Health Organization are, are in the process of doing their massive power grab in regards to um, basically dictating what countries should do next time round, um, which is uh, a, a real shocker. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, we'll move on. But but it was worth uh, just, just this kind of anecdotal little snippet here on on masks our good good old good old friendly old face mask and and uh you know you take this kind of thing with a little bit of pinch of salt but it is indicative so some polling was done recently in the uk and uh, the polling found that around a fifth of the british public would back the return of covid measures with 45 percent saying masks should be mandatory on public transport that's nuts, isn't it? Forty-five, almost half of those polled th thought that masks should be mandatory on, on public transport. Um, people 
a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people still buy the lies that they've been sold. And even now, when I see people walking down the street uh, wearing a face mask, it's 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 tragic. And and I feel actually, I feel sorry for that person. And I feel mm. sorry for that person because they believed a lie. And they continue to believe a lie. And furthermore, they are damaging their own health by yeah. living that lie out. And it's so, so sad. But this yeah. is this is the fallout from corrupt governance, which sadly this country is continuing to sit under. Yeah, um, it is. And I think this I think this is a big part of the problem. And I think that polling is probably accurate. I yeah. I suspect if we went into another situation tomorrow, I think a big chunk of the population would fall into line and they would, um, they would. I think they would still be and still are quick to fear. Um, I think many don't question what they're told and they seem to want authoritarian leadership. They they do. There, there, seem, there seems to be um, a direct correlation between somebody who wears a mask with somebody who takes a vaccine with somebody who believes in climate change, as in man-made climate change as kind of dictated to us by... Um, the UN and 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 Greta etc and and I think it, it, again it says something about the um the the unthinking nature that many people sleepwalk in mm. and uh, it, you know do we, you think, we want think, people to wake up we do we do but do you think it's part of human nature because I think it's um, I was thinking the other day about sheep, funnily enough, and um, mm. you know, when the in many places in the Bible, there's talk about um, the shepherd and the sheep, and and you know, and primarily, of course, about Jesus as the good shepherd. Um, and I don't think you know that's by accident that that you know by the very implication is that we are like sheep and and quite often i think our human nature is we're just looking for a leader we're looking for someone to tell us what to do to show us the way um and and that is why good leadership is so critical and that is yeah. why jesus is the good shepherd and that is why we must look to him and follow him yes yeah it, no totally it, and and yeah it, it it does point exactly to our kind of inbuilt um, inbuilt nature to 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 follow. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I suppose also it, it points that the particular examples I was giving there of masking, vaccine, climate change, you know, point to following the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, again, this is this is what this is what we've got to be alert to. Yeah, we're, we're not saying, are we, Helen? We're not saying, oh, you mustn't follow any anybody. No, we're not saying that no, at all. On the contrary, we're, we're saying you are to follow somebody, and that person is Jesus. Um, but following anything, anyone, sorry, other than Jesus is always going to um, is always going to end badly. And this is what we want to try and encourage one another to to be alert to this. Um, but it, but there are people, Anna Helen, who are speaking up in Parliament, or at least trying to. Yes. Um, what's, what's happening <laughs> yeah. with Andrew Bridgen? Well, bless him, Andrew Bridgen. He's working so hard. Um, he 
convened recently um i think it was the yeah 4th of december um an impressive lineup for an expert testimony panel um i'm not quite sure how exactly he he went about it but he um and how how it works in parliament but he hired some sort of parliament building and then he invited all mp's and all of the lords and the media um and I mean, the lineup, he had Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Ryan Cole, Professor Angus, Angus Dalgleish, Steve Kirsch and Dr. David E. Martin. And also there was meant to be by video link, uh, Mike Eden and Dr. Peter McCullough. Wow. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's followed the the dissident voices during COVID, that they are the big guns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's yeah, an yeah. impressive lineup. Um, and to get them, actually, most of them are uh, from America, to get them over here. So he he did all that, organised all that. Um, of course, it was branded in the media as a bunch of discredited COVID conspiracy theorists, of course. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was, I, I might just read out, um, Robert Malone, see this, I expected, oh, great, we can we can watch this we can there'll be a yeah. recording and yeah. we can see what they all had to say and you know if there was any q and a at the end or whatever but no that didn't happen um and this is what robert malone wrote in a subsequent article where he summarized the hurdles that the fa that they faced he said in the end it didn't matter that the sergeant of arms downgraded the room request to only fit a third of those that wanted they wanted to it didn't matter that the sergeant of arms refused the application of various media outlets to film the testimony. It didn't matter that they turned off all the cameras that are meant to record every meeting in the building. It didn't even matter, matter that they had AV issues, so a muted video feed was all that was available. It didn't matter that the TV in the room for presentations was muted with no remote controls. It didn't matter that they placed many uniformed guards outside the hearing room, something people in the room said they had not witnessed before. Wow. Many people used their cell phone, their mobile phone, to record and amplify this testimony on social media. So the testimony will get out, no matter what their draconian methods. The truth is the truth. That, that's shocking, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not surprising... And yet it's shocking that we're saying it's not surprising because that yeah. says something about the, the the state of the nation that we we live in. Um, but if they are so, uh, if they, that is the media, the government, um, are, are so concerned about these uh, apparent conspiracy theorists, then what are they afraid of? If they think they're a bunch of nutters, then then let people hear them because actually people will then realize these men in this room are obviously mad with all the things that they're saying and discredit them but but by actually doing what they're doing they're simply confirming that these guys are seeking the truth are wanting to get the truth out there and of course, by doing the things that they did, the kind of subterfuge that they allowed to happen to try and derail this just points to just points to the fact that they're scared. Um, and it's it's very childish as well, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it flies in the 
face of what is supposed to be a democracy in this country and well. <laughs> what is supposed to happen in parliament processes. Yeah, totally. That is yeah. totally true. Um, hold on a sec. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Um, well, just um, uh, Sonia Elijah has done an excellent summary of what what did go on, and I thought I'll just um, state very quickly the the topics that they covered because mm. I think this shows why they were so keen to censor it. So um, uh, David Martin was talking about the web of deception by governments, corporations, and regulators including immunity from prosecution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Pierre Corey was talking about the war on early COVID treatment. Uh, Ryan Cole was talking about the harms from COVID mRNA vaccines, including, I think this is a fairly recent finding of DNA contamination in, in the vaccines. Um, Robert Malone was talking about the weaponizing of pathogens, bioethics and informed consent. Um, Angus Dalgleish was talking about excess deaths and the COVID vaccines. And then Steve Kirch was talking about the vaccine mortality data. Wow, that is, that. yeah, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. And, and looking through that list, I mean, going back to Dr. Pierre Corey, the war on early COVID treatment. I mean, do you remember there was, um, obviously, vitamin D was frowned upon. Remember yeah. that? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like bizarre. Uh, ivermectin was frowned upon i mean i i still i still occasionally speak to people like this and they still think that it's just used for horses horse yeah <laughs> it's like no well, one of the most it, widely used just human used drugs. for horses it's yeah. for people as well <laughs> yeah. like, but this this is this is this is the this is what happens when people just absorb the lies that the media tell us and think that this is how the world works you end up with misinformed people who ironically tell the likes of you and I and, and others that we're the misinformed ones. And it's like, okay, I don't think you're really listening to what you're saying here. But um, but yeah, certainly with, um, it's interesting, isn't it, with things like vitamin vitamin D, uh, zinc, uh, quercetin, and others now, how that's much more coming into, into almost into the mainstream, isn't it, Helen? Like, oh, yes, you should be taking these things because they're good for you. Okay, that's mm. interesting because you were telling us complete opposite back in uh, twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. But yeah, it's that is great to have that summary, and I really, really hope. Well, I mean, truth, truth is truth, isn't it? Uh, and it will always win at the end of the day, um, even though the the way to that victory is often fraught with challenge and difficulty. Um, but yes, it, so they will link to Sonia Elijah's Substack, won't we? So that people can yeah. read, read this and also, um, also another, there was another link as well. Oh, um, which one was it? Rob uh, Robert one as well. Malone's one. Yeah, yeah. We'll put the link in. Any, anything more to add on that one, Helen? Well, no, just, um, just from that, I wanted to talk a bit again about excess deaths. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so still this topic goes on and I know like you said earlier we've we've <laughs> talked about this quite often but the reason is that it is so important because essentially people are dying mm. and many yeah. more people than should be dying uh, that would be normally expected um, and this has been going on now for a long time so um, John C Campbell continues to talk about this and highlight um, uh, 
data that is increasingly coming out. Um, and he, he did a recent um, video on the 2023 data. So this is to the end of November, and it's the data so far. So this is just for 2023, never mind the excess deaths that had gone on in the years before that. Um, and showing countries such as Australia, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Ireland, here in the UK, the US, the the figures are generally 10 to 20% above what would be normally expected. Com and that's compared with the five-year average to 2019. That's awful. Um, and that's 10 to 20% above what would be expected, not taking into account that after a a pandemic, you should see a reduce, a reduction yes. in excess yes. deaths. So it should go yeah. below what you would normally expect because the vulnerable have unfortunately died during the pandemic um, but, period. But they changed the definition of a pandemic. But they remember, changed so, that. Yes. So, yeah, so, that, that yeah. helps there, doesn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. And the other interesting thing is that this is happening. This has been happening through the summer months, which is unusual because normally deaths as skewed towards the winter months because of primarily respiratory viruses. That's when the elderly and the vulnerable um, uh, tend to be affected most in the winter months. So summer months, you should see a reduction. But with these excess deaths, that's not been seen. The excess deaths have continued through the summer months. Um, and then interestingly, Japan, South Korea and Singapore have seen excess death rates even higher. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, it's, like you said, yeah. something is going on in all these different countries. It should. It should be. It should be headline news. Sadly, it should. This should be what is being investigated. It should. Everything. All hands to the pump in terms of finding out what is causing this. What do we need to change? How do we mitigate this going any worse? Um, what What do we do? Um, they're not because it will all point to the truth and the the devastating consequences of these jabs which they've given millions of people um and yeah i mean but this isn't going to go away that's that's the other that's the other side of this it's not going to go mm -hmm. away i mean i i am struck sadly by just how many people in the news on a weekly basis have just suddenly died you know, you know, you know, the marginally well-known people suddenly died in their mid-40s. Mm. That's not normal. That's mm. not normal. Yes, okay, people can suddenly die, but we never used to hear about this. The amount of people I know of personally who have been very ill all of a sudden and then died. That that wasn't normal five years mm. ago. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of sadness in this. Um, mm. Yeah. What about Ed Dowd? Because he's he's an interesting guy, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I I listened to. I mean, I've listened over a period to a number of um, talks that he's done. But one recently, um, he looks at uh, life insurance industry figures, um, and he was talking about figures in the United States where where you know life insurance obviously it's a it's a even bigger industry than it is here. Um, and he was talking about excess deaths in particular working age groups, which are usually very healthy compared to the average Americans. Mm. So these are low risk cohorts with um, who've got health care, who have good employment, 
who are highly educated, who are health aware, and usually with a much lower than average death rate, yet showing 40% excess mortality in 2021. 40%, cool. And he said this represents an event that is completely off the charts. That kind of percentage is just completely off the charts and something they just have never encountered before. Um, And he said that the data also shows spikes in excess mortality at exactly the points when mandates hit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's if we were to rewind back to, um, you know, if we were back in 2019 now, December 2019, and kind of go through those that 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 period again, and not do anything, just say, okay, this is this is there's something happening here where some people are getting ill. Most people will recover fine, just crack on with life. Would have been a completely different story, completely different story. Mm. But. Um, but yeah, the the web of deceit has spun a, spun a, a web of tragedy. Uh, it really has. Um, yeah, shall we move on? Yes. Yeah. This is this is this is a, this is a linked. This is linked to the sort of segue out of COVID slightly. But uh, we just want to focus on a few um, bold, courageous, brave individuals who are taking a stand for what they believe is right, um, at, at personal cost themselves. And the first person we wanted to just mention is somebody called Mike Fairclough, who, um, is uh, dubbed as Britain's most outspoken headmaster. Uh, that's according to to one newspaper, and he was certainly outspoken during the COVID nineteen so called pandemic, and he became uh, very well known for questioning the COVID vaccine rollout to children and also the lockdowns and mask mandates. So he was a uh, he was um yeah he was standing out. Uh, on his own on this one wasn't he Helen and, yeah. and anyway he's he's written uh, something which I just want to read to you because it's really is is worth worth listening to he says as the only UK head teacher to publicly question lockdowns masking kids and the COVID vaccine rollout to children I was not alone in my beliefs other head teachers privately told me that they agreed with my stance but that they worried that violating their concerns sorry, that voicing their concerns would impact on their careers and relationships. This is despite every education professional having a legal as well as a moral duty to safeguard children against harm. This prompted me to explore ways in which we might empower ourselves and others to speak out about controversial and politically sensitive topics, whether that be gender ideology within schools, the baffling notion of a man being able to give birth, climate change, anti-Semitism or any of the other off-limit topics. If what we wish to say amounts to lawful free speech, we should say it. However, people are increasingly self-censoring out of fear of reprisals. Unfortunately, this can only end badly in the long run. Having incurred some rather brutal personal losses, including my career, I am unable to pretend that speaking out is easy. This is why people self-centre. It is definitely safer to stay silent in the short term. But what are the long-term consequences of our silence? 
I thought that was excellent. I mean, there's a lot of kind of this, we could probably do a whole podcast on this, can we, Helen? Think reading mm. reading it through again, but but certainly, I mean, there's a few things that strike me. What one is is when you said, you know, as the only UK teacher to publicly question lockdowns, uh, on a cursory glance, there appear to be around twenty nine thousand head teachers in the United Kingdom. So if it is indeed the case, and he's the only one I know of that publicly questioned lockdowns, masking, COVID vaccine rollout, that's a that's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there may have been the odd one or two who perhaps we don't know about, but yeah, it was, yeah, the silence was deafening. It was deafening. And, you know, he's absolutely right where every education professional has a legal and a moral duty to safeguard children against harm. Well, then there is an issue there, isn't there? Because if he, by speaking out, is fulfilling that moral duty, then what are the other 29,000 who didn't speak out? What were they doing? Were they also fulfilling their moral duty? They can't both be right. Mm. Um, I suspect we know the answer to that question. And I think that he's also um, highlighted something which is painful and we'll talk about a bit more in a moment. But a head teacher is, is a well-paid job. It's on a it's on a it's not quite a GP, but it, it's not far off a, a GP in terms of pay. And there's a lot to lose financially, let alone your career, mm. if you lose your job. And I think actually this is why we see so many. I'll be honest, quite poor schools because they're led by people who are lacking courage. They just want to sit within their window of operation doing the best they can, but not saying boo to a goose because there's too much to lose if they do so. Meanwhile, the school continues on its trajectory towards destruction. And we see that secondary schools over and over and over and over again in the United Kingdom. So there's there's not an easy answer to this. Um but yeah, I mean what anything that strikes you about this? Well, just I think the the point he makes about um the dangers, the long-term consequences of 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 our silence in in cases like this and I think he's he's absolutely right <clears throat> that um you know the that is going to have devastating consequences if people will not speak up for what is right. Mm, mm. need. I think that I think we need we need to have we need to have a mechanism whereby teachers are able to say what they know to be true and able to say what they know is right without fear of reprisals. Yeah, because otherwise, you're basically admitting that you're operating within a tyrannical structure because that's what tyranny yeah. is that's how tyranny operates yeah um and and i think again i mean it, we said this numerous times on this this podcast there are many 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 good teachers and there are many 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 good <clears throat> head teachers and in church i think we have a tremendous opportunity to support teachers in 
being bold in praying for them, but also finding ways to put support networks in for them so they don't feel like they're on their own. And may, may, it could be training. It could, it, you know, a lot of churches have um, links with schools. It could be leveraging those links. But I think this softly, softly, nicely, nicely approach that we've taken for so long, it doesn't work anymore. No. Um, and we've got to we've got to find a way to stand with teachers whether that's a TA, whether it's a teacher, regular teacher, or or a head teacher, deputy head teacher, who want to stand for truth, who want to give their best for the children in their care during the day. And as churches, we I think there's opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, yeah but it's going to there, require boldness, isn't it? Yes. And if we don't hurry up, there, there won't be any of them left. No, there won't. Because what is happening, and it's exactly the same as what's happening in in healthcare. So, for example, in in healthcare, um, we've seen many of those who were prepared to stand up for what they believe to be mm -hmm. right. Yeah, they've gone now. Yeah. So they yeah. were either sacked or they were effectively pushed out. Their life was made so difficult that they've gone. So those people, you need to think about that. Those people that you want to be there advocating for you or for your loved one if you become ill, if they've gone, who is there to now stand up for what is right? Because if everyone is, everyone who's left is, is too scared to, and all they do is they just do as they're told and they without questioning and that's what will happen in education so if we lose all of the teachers and the staff who are prepared to stand up for what they can see is the right thing for what they can see is when when things are damaging the children they're prepared to stand up and say this is wrong and it doesn't it, it doesn't take very long to find there are people and I've spoken to quite a number who will openly say to me about things that they saw during the lockdowns, the damage they saw it causing children. You know, they saw it in front of their very eyes and they can mm. see it with mm. things like the gender ideology being pushed in schools. They can see the damage it's causing. It's right there in front of them. But they're too scared or or don't know how to do anything about it. And if they, if we lose those people, then what are you left with? You're left with just the ones who don't care or or who, in fact, uh, who, who are going to be there just to push the damaging narratives yeah yeah you're totally right i mean not obviously you know in, in in a school you have one head teacher and you have multiple teachers and there's a reason for that uh, obviously there's a practical reason insofar as you need multiple teachers to teach all the children but 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 not every teacher is a leader not yeah. every teacher is a leader uh, being a leader is a specific job where you you've got you've got to do multiple things at the same time. You've you've you you have got to kind of as best you're able to. You've got to make sure that things are done done right according to the rules in quotes. Um, you've got to empower people. You've got to nurture people. You've got to um, protect what is right. You've got to also stand for truth. You've got to model what it means to do good to those who sit under you. And like you say, Helen, if you lose those people, you're left with people, you're left often with a, with a vacuum. And yeah, it's, so I think, I think there is, there is tremendous opportunity for, um, 
for churches to to actively speak into this because churches are made up of let's not forget this churches a lot of churches at least are made up of um um parents who have children at school so churches have a vested interest in seeing schools function well and supporting uh, the teachers there well but I'm particularly Helen and I are particularly talking here about when a church has uh, teachers in it who are Christians and we've got to equip them we've got to give them the tools that they need to stand firm we've got to encourage them so they don't feel like they're on their own so they don't feel mm. isolated so that when they stand for truth they know they're not doing it by themselves um and and it takes courage it takes it it's really hard it's really hard but but that I don't think there's any other option. Um, shall we move on? Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put links to this. So another another person who we want to mention um, is somebody we've spoken on uh, about on this podcast before, uh, Aaron Edwards, who was a, a former lecturer at um, the, the the formal former Bible College, Cliff College. Um, it's just a college now, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not sure it's a Bible College. Um, and he was <laughs> he was threatened with, uh, he was actually threatened, believe, believe it or not, with a counter-terrorism referral. So Aaron Edwards, who was a former lecturer at a, a so-called theological college, which actually does did have a, a really good reputation, he was threatened with a counter-terrorism referral. And this is for saying, this all stemmed from a tweet which he sent, which kicked all this off. And this this is what his tweet was, okay? This is what got him into trouble. And this was on his personal account. He said, homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia, whether or not it is true. This is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. Um, anyway, so that's what—that's the tweet that got him into trouble, and it, it resulted him in him losing his job at the college, um, where he had an extremely good reputation. His family lived very close to the campus. It's been a very costly thing for him. But it turns out that Cliff College actually—well, they—they—they they tried to deny that they referred. Uh, Aaron Edwards to the counter-terrorism unit in spite of minutes showing the intimidation tactics they actually used. Um, and uh, he was suspended while an investigation was undertaken. And um, and then on uh, in February, um, he was uh, summoned to a meeting in the college where the investigation report was read to him and it was revealed that the college was considering referring him to prevent, which, and this is the government's counter-terrorism watchdog. And it's just, um, it's, it's just, it's just bonkers. Um, I mean, there was, uh, I think the, principal of Cliff College, uh, somebody called um, Ashley Cooper. He um, he said, um, we're stronger for the gospel together if we can find a way of living with difference because we all disagree on all kinds of things. And this was in, in reference to um, a vote in June 2021, which was to allow same-sex mar marriages in Methodist churches. Um, which which he voted for, so 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 this is what Aaron was was up against, 
Um, but but just I'll read it again, just so you can <laughs> let it sink in in terms of context. This is the principle of the Bible College, and this is what he said. He said, "We're stronger for the gospel together if we can find a way of living with difference because we disagree on all kinds of things." No, Un- unity in the gospel is not found by that. It's found by proclaiming the truth. It's by standing on the the rock that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the unity is found by proclaiming the same message. Not by proclaiming different messages and just saying, oh, yeah, let's rub along with each other. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And lo and behold, a disaster has happened because they've lost an incredibly good guy in Aaron Edwards. Um, and the the principal, Ashley uh, Cooper, went on to say um, he believed that it was right to work together with conservatives and liberals within the church to provide a new way forward and to live together despite the differences. In, this is in regards to same-sex marriages. Um, so, I mean, talk about confused. But anyway, Aaron Edwards is is now launching a legal legal action against Cliff College on the grounds of harassment, discrimination, and unfair dismissal. And um, uh, the uh, Christian Legal Centre, I think, are supporting him. And Andrea Williams, who's the chief executive, said this: said a Christian theologian working for a Christian Bible college tweeting about the biblical Christian teaching on human sexuality has been sacked and labelled as a potential terrorist. It's crazy, isn't it? It just Cliff College has left the chat. I think <laughs> is safe to say. And it's deeply sad, but let's not mess around here. This this isn't this isn't the time for saying, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. They've left the path. And it's just this is the state of play, isn't it? I mean, you think you're reading some kind of dystopian novel when you talk about this stuff, don't you? You think, no, this is not real life. Don't be ridiculous, yeah. Tim and Helen. But um sadly it is. Yeah, um, and yeah, and and he's not the only one, is he? Because no, we've talked not. about Bernard Randall before, where you know, effectively, exactly the same thing happened. So, um, you know, this seems to be the pattern now. So, if you if you say anything that is is slightly outside of what what they deem acceptable, then n- not only are you going to face losing your job, but you're going to be refer- referred to a counterterrorism unit because you're a threat to to what to young people or um as in bernard randall's case it'd be yeah. a threat to children what what tell us what happened with bernard bernard randall because well it's so an he, interesting one yeah he was um ordained in the church of england so he was a chaplain um in a private school i think that's right isn't it so um and he he's now launched legal action against the head teacher of the school um that sacked him and secretly mm. reported him to the government's counterterrorism watch watchdog so in his case he had he had preached a sermon a moderate sermon um which he'd given on identity politics which which happened after um there had been a um a group had come into the school called educate and celebrated uh um trent college is that right that's yeah um, i think so yeah i think <clears throat> And they had come in to, well, supposedly to help embed an extreme, effectively, agenda, identity, agenda uh, into the moral fabric of the school, including, I think, um, the nursery. So the Educator Celebrates leader, Ellie Barnes, apparently got staff chanting, chanting 
smash heteronormativity during a staff training day. That's that just uh, pause. I said that is nuts. I mean, I've heard this. I've heard this. I heard of this kind of thing happening before, and um, yeah, you know, you know that 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 photo of um, have you ever seen that photo of a Nazi um, like? Uh, march or or a, like a thing where there's loads of Nazis and they're all doing the, the salute like this and there's yeah. one guy with his arms folded he's yeah. not saluting Have you, ever, you know that yes. you know the photo I mean yes I do and that's what comes to mind when you hear this stuff I'm thinking which which brave staff member was just sat there with their arms folded saying I'm not I'm not chanting your bile mm. I wonder if there was one I hope so because if there wasn't, there needs to be, and if there are, if there were one, there need to be more next time. Yeah, well, possibly Bernard Randall. I don't know whether he maybe. was subjected <laughs> to it as well. <laughs> but it's oh, it's just it's it's just anyway. Sorry, carry on. It's just like yeah, that was nuts. But carry on. Yeah. Well, so yes, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I mean, effectively what he he did. He was talking with the young people, wasn't he? And I think it was in in the context of um. A Bible study group or something, and 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 so they'd asked for they wanted to know what he, he thought about this, mm, and he'd preached yeah. this sermon, which I, I've seen the transcript of it. It's very moderate, very you know, really just what you would want to hear from a chaplain yeah, uh, doing yeah. his job properly yeah. Yeah. in a in a school that is meant to have Christian values. That's why they have a chaplain. Um, so now, apparently, with the full cooperation of the Bishop of Derby, the Right Reverend Libby Lane, and her diocesan safeguarding team, um, mm, that's, I'd that's caution a... anyone, if you're to face a diocesan safeguarding team, be warned, it's not going to go, it's not going to be an easy ride, yes. uh, speaking from experience here. Um, so Dr. Randall was removed from his role as chaplain of the school, and an investigation by the local diocese followed with a risk assessment concluding that Dr. Randall was a risk to children and that the Bible and the Church of England's own teaching on human sexuality is also a risk factor. Risky business, this, isn't it? It's, it's a risky business, yeah. And I'm just going to be slightly controversial here and just and just, just clock that I'm presuming that the right Reverend Libby Lane is a lady. Yes, she is. So maybe that's an issue there as well. Wow. But anyway, but just chuck that hand grenade in. Uh, do you <laughs> want to just ca- carry it, carry it, carry on, Helen? Well, it, Dr. Randall has been blacklisted now by the Church of England, uh, so he's prevented from giving uh, has been a, a public uh, prevented from giving a public sermon since 2020, which I think means he's had his. PTO's permission to officiate removed, which means he can't is, um, effectively is, can't is, do a job. Is this is this in a school context or in a Church of England wide context? Do you know him not being able to preach a sermon? Is that simply in in a school I think chaplaincy, or is, well, it, no, is it just any Church of England church? No, it'll be any Church of England church because they'll okay. remove it once they remove your permission to officiate. That means he would not be able to to officiate in any church and that would include as a chaplain in school okay um and then he was referred by the head teacher to the teaching regulation agency the tra to investigate the allegation of serious misconduct potentially leading to the imposition of a prohibition order 
which would, I think, effectively bar him from schools forever. Um, and the head teacher also referred him to the Disclosure and Barring Service, the DBS, which would see him banned from working with children altogether and obviously as well working as a vicar. Oh, it's very sad, isn't it? It's very sad because the the yet again losing losing a good man mm. who was seeking to point people to truth um was seeking to do what was right and and the Church of England in this particular instance have gone above and beyond to not only remove, you know, in, in the school context, but in the wider church context, it would seem. It's, it's really, really mm. awful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do we do we know anything else about um, um, Bernard Randall? I'm not sure where where it's got to right now, actually. Okay. Um, I think um, he's been supported by Christian Concern as well, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is, yeah. Yeah, but it does. Um, it it makes the mockery of the whole, the whole nature of, and the whole point of safeguarding, and you know the whole point. As everyone knows, the whole point of these these procedures and these systems that are in place is to protect children and to protect vulnerable people from abusers. And this is not what it's for. No, but this is what it's used for. I, I think. I think. I, I. I'm very wary of of safeguarding as a as a as the way it's used. Um, it's a. It, I think it's a slightly insidious um, method in order to actually get people to to toe the line um, in this particular in this particular case. I mean, it really. If we're just looking at it dispassionately it would be reasonable to come to the conclusion that they're using a sledgehammer to crack a nut here, aren't they? Mm. Um, and and yet, if you take a step back from it and think, okay, they've got this thing called safeguarding, which on the surface seems seems fine and, and right and, and maybe even good. But then if the people administering this and driving this make such ridiculous decisions then something fundamental is is broken here yeah. alarmingly so mm. um and i think the, the the danger with the whole safeguarding thing is that whilst we all, all of us have got, you know we go without saying we, of course we want children to be safe and and vulnerable adults to be safe and of course we want to protect them from harm uh, you don't need a safeguarding policy to do that, by the way. <laughs> mm. um, but we, we've got to be ever so careful with something like this because it removes um, it removes people's ability to think critically. So in this particular instance, if... Uh, Bernard Randall had, had been towing the safeguarding party line. He wouldn't have said "boo" to a goose, presumably. Um, and yet, what he did say was very much in line with safeguarding, insofar as you are helping children navigate life well and protecting them from potential harm. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember being in a 
when I'm when I was involved with church leadership until fairly recently, I remember being in a meeting where the the person in the church who was responsible for safeguarding, he at one point he said, safeguarding trumps absolutely everything. Those are literally <laughs> his words. And I was sat there thinking, no, it doesn't. And But if this is the mentality of people involved with administering this, it's no wonder we end up in a situation like with Bernard Randall, where the, 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 the rules are seen as the God, lowercase g, which we must follow at all costs. And I think, yeah, it's, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to take leave of our senses on this. Mm-hmm. Does that does it make does it make do you, do you do you know what do you agree? Yeah, absolutely, agree. Well, when you think that the the uh, diocesan uh, safeguarding team actually said that the Bible and the Church of England's own teaching on human sexuality is a risk factor, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're going to yes. safeguard out the Bible but, before very long. Uh, well, it, it, yes, it. That is, I think that's coming. That's coming quicker than we think it's coming. Yeah, really do. But yeah, no, it, yeah, it's, it, I can't believe they even even said those those things that the Bible uh, is a risk factor. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, and let's just mention one other person very briefly, Enoch Burke, um, who some of you will have heard of. He's been in the news quite a lot. Um, he's essentially, essentially this this man is a or was an Irish teacher, and he's been jailed indefinitely. Um, and essentially, this is this is because it all it all stemmed from him refusing to call a male student a girl, and he taught history in German, and he refused to use the preferred pronouns of a trans student, uh, and use a. Didn't use their they them pronouns, so he was fired and banned from going near the school. The school then got a court order against him, but he refused a court order and was subsequently arrested and jailed. He now remains in jail uh, indefinitely and won't be released until he agrees to comply with this court order. Now it's a bit of a bit of a like crazy case this one to be honest it it is quite astonishing to think that somebody is in prison indefinitely for something like this and people will obviously point out they'll say well he's he's not in prison for for refusing to use somebody's pronouns he's in prison because he is refusing to not go back to the school and yes that is that is true on the surface, but the reason for the reason that all this came about was because he refused to use a pupil's preferred pronouns. Um, so by by claiming that he's, he's in prison because of refusing the court order is slightly disingenuous, I think. But it's what it's often what people like to smugly uh, point out. Um, but anyway, I think that is, there's more to it than that. There is maybe there is a case for him complying and staying away from school. I don't know, but what message does that send? It sends the message that he's guilty and that the the school are right, presumably. Um, 
And he's basically taken a stand that he's been imprisoned for his faith. I think it seems from our very remote position on this one that he's trying to, he's taking a principled stand and he's being willing to to stand for what is right despite the cost. Um, that's the only conclusion I can come to at this point. Do you have any other thoughts yeah. on that, Helen? Well, I think um, the problem is with this is that, and pretty much every child now knows this, that if if you if a child says, Oh, I'm this now, and you're to call me this, they know that if the teacher doesn't comply and do as they're told, um, the teacher's gonna get in trouble. And this is the situation we've got to now, where teachers are treading on eggshells. Because if they don't get it right, if they don't do as effectively as the child tells them. No, you call me this now. Or no, today I'm this. You mm. call me this. Mm. Um, then they know that the teacher's going to get in trouble, and it's the teacher who will get who will get removed from the school, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And and that is, you know, that is a very common thing now. It's in pretty much every classroom now, where there'll be a child who is saying, "No, I'm not a girl now. I'm a boy." Or you're to call me this. I've changed my name. This is the name you're to call me now. Or you know, you call me they, them, or you call me whatever it is. Yeah. Or or I'm a, I'm a cat now. Or or you know. I, I laugh, but it is a thing. thing it is, is a it thing, is isn't a thing. it? It is a thing. Yeah, the whole fairy thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it it is it is astonishing how quickly we we are at this point where people are being imprisoned and not only imprisoned, but in, in uh, Enoch Burke's case, imprisoned indefinitely. And that's, uh, since when was that a thing? Mm. How can you, use, how can you use the justice system so-called for doing something like that? That's appalling. You can't do that. But That's using it as a method of coercion, isn't it? Surely rather yeah. than, than as a method of punishment. Yeah. And doesn't that point to tyranny? Yeah. Yes, it does. But the root, at the root of it is this inversion of of what should be the correct order. And I know if you go back to, you know, when we were children in school, and and um, perhaps, um, you know, everyone everyone had their name, and perhaps a particular child. Actually, I don't like being called Elizabeth. I'd rather you call me Liz. And, you know, a teacher may decide, yes, I will do that or no, I won't do that because your name is Elizabeth and I'll continue to call you Elizabeth. And there's nothing the child could do about it. And you might say, oh, well, that shows the teacher didn't really respect the child, perhaps. But that was just how it was, wasn't it? it that's yeah. your name. Yeah. It, you know, and that's exactly. how it is. And I'm the teacher. I'm in charge and I call you what I decide to call you. Exactly. That's and, how it was. And no one would have exactly. questioned that, said anything. That's how it was. And, and it's it very, very different now. It, it is. And it, it taught it sort of taught you a valuable life lesson, which is that you're not at the top of the pecking order. You're at the bottom of the pecking order as a child. And that, that's not the same as saying, oh, it's okay for you to just be treated rubbishly. Nobody's suggesting mm -hmm. that. But this is about teaching that there is such a thing as authority, that that um, you do need to um, listen to those who are older than you. You need to respect them. Because when you're older, when you're an adult, you'll be able to then function well in a society that that is built 
on these kind of principles. But now we've we've left that. I I it's difficult to know how the next five years is gonna pan out. Really, as 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 many of these people who are currently in school leave school, it has the potential to be a train wreck. Yeah. Going into the workplace. I mean, workplaces are becoming increasingly woke and nonsensical as well, yeah. let's be honest. But, but I mean, you know, they're not quite at the stage where they're putting cat litter out for people. Um, mm. But I wouldn't put it past them. Um, but yes, so do do be do be praying for these people. So people um, who who we mentioned have got a bit of a list here. We had um, where is it? The teacher Mike Fairclough. Uh, we've got Aaron Edwards, of course. Um, Enoch Burke, Bernard Randall. Do be praying for these these guys, and most importantly, be praying for their families because you know when somebody takes a stand like this, it's not just them. It's their wider family, and and the wider family are impacted hugely. I mean, Aaron Edwards, for example, he's got I think he's got four. Is it four children? Um, um, sorry if I got that slightly wrong, but he's he's got a nice healthy number. He's of got children. a good number of children. Yeah. You know, he's got wife to support. By taking the stand he has, he's, he, they lost their home, he lost his job. These are, yeah. These are real world serious implications for mm. standing for truth. Um, right. Shall we? So, shall we? Let me just touch on Israel very briefly, and then we'll talk about our last thing. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. So, um, just obviously, on our previous podcast, we spoke with Professor Norman Fenton, and uh, who is who is a Jew, and it was very um, fascinating conversation, wasn't it, Helen? And yeah. just to encourage you to have a listen to that if you haven't already done so, and if as ever, if you think it's going to be encouraging somebody, you know, do do share it with them. But that was that was really good to, to chat with him. But uh, just following on, obviously, the situation in Israel is is ongoing, as as, as many people will know. Uh, yesterday, the the UN backed to demand for an immediate Gaza ceasefire, which is, I mean, the UN is, um, I, I don't, yeah, the very ineffectual organisation, I think, to put it mildly. Um, but anyway, they're there for a specific reason, and which is not a good one, um, and. I just yeah, just, you just kind of think. Well, look, if if Hamas released the hostages, then perhaps that would be a start. And it was quite interesting because the uh, the representative for Israel in the, in the UN Security Council, he actually held up a, pa- a placard saying, "If you want, if you want a ceasefire, here's the Hamas, the leader of Hamas. Here's his phone number. Give him a call." <laughs> it was quite pointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, we've seen these nonsensical protests that have continued in the United Kingdom and, and other other countries as well. Um, and yeah, where it it's difficult to know what kind of a country we're living in now, isn't it? In some parts, anyway. I mean, we're we're not in cities, you and I, Helen, so we're kind of removed yeah. from it. But when you see it on the news, thinking this this is this is not not ideal. Um, yeah, talk us, talk us through what Jordan Peterson, he said something interesting, didn't he? It's an interesting yeah, there's a, there's a very interesting article he's written, which is entitled Anti-Semitism and the Postmodern Meta-Marxists. Um, we'll put a link to to the article. It's worth, worth a read. Um, I'll just read out the little bit at, at the end where he says, Enough stupidity and blindness, Western cowards, Western good thinkers. The barbarians are no longer at the gate. They are inside, 
and they're beginning to torture the Jews. He goes on to say, they would have little purchase, however, if the ground for their protestations had not already been prepared by the miserable, prideful, intellectual ideologues, purporting not least to educate our children, who are instead fulminating hatred in the name of compassion and contaminating everything everywhere of any worth whatsoever with the dread accusation of exploitation and oppression. Their bloody doctrine, disguised as compassion, must be identified, understood and rejected before nothing remains but the blood. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. I think he's he's hits a particular nail on the head there. Um, yeah, so we'll link <clears throat> we'll link to that that blog post uh, from Jordan Peterson. So do do have um, do have a look at that. Um, right, shall we move on to our last bit? Yeah, COP COP twenty eight. We like a bit of COP, don't we? we? Do like a bit of COP. <laughs> I feel like I feel like COP comes around. Yeah. Too often. Too often. It's yeah. that time of year again. It's that cop time of year. Yeah. So um might be worth saying that we've got a previous podcast we did on COP. 20, we've got a couple, I think, haven't we? I think we've done a couple, actually. Yeah. So so we'll maybe link to those ones. Um, so you can compare notes with how mm. things are going COP-wise. Um, uh, so according to, according to COP, um, the, the, the world is demanding a new way, apparently. Um, <laughs> this just cracked me up. So on their website, they have a little switch at the top and you can flick the switch to move to a, wait for it, you can move the switch on their website to go to a low carbon version. I didn't website. believe you. I thought you were making that up and then no. I went and had a look and it's true. No, no. I think I think all it does is it basically just removes a little bit of a bit of JavaScript, a bit of bit of the you know background photos. So probably your computer processing power is, is it just uses a slight little bit less processing to view their web page and um, maybe it has an impact on their service as well. I mean, it's nonsensical. <laughs> where do you start with that kind of idiocy um anyway so they can obviously they're continuing to just um promote the lie of uh, man-made climate change and they i think yeah i mean they they have a lot of interesting um terminology don't they in and in, in when you look at their website they've got a lot of interesting yeah. terminology they use uh things like food enlightenment I, i'm thinking that's that's along along the lines of oh i can see now that that beetles are really nice i will <laughs> leave this steak to one side and i'll chew on these tasteless rather disgusting worms instead with a bit of crunchy beetle just to give it a little bit of added texture thank you for pointing that out to me i feel enlightened now about my food um <laughs> youth empowerment um that has sort of slightly fascist tendencies to it i think inclusivity gender equality um and their strap line is action brings hope trust belief action and they coined a phrase i don't they coined it but it's the first time i've seen it on the website actionism they've isomized action so isms are good phobias are bad (laughs) (laughs) just add them to the end of the word that you want to uh, you want to do so anyway so we mentioned this because cop is taking place now isn't it and um so 
What about the dissident of the president? Do you want to tell us about that? Well, that was quite funny, wasn't it? Yeah, the president. So he's um, Sultan al-Jaba. I don't know how you say his name, actually. Um, so he's an oil executive, which is a, a, it's <laughs> quite interesting. It made me laugh, actually. Um, but chosen as the president of... I don't know how, how that works, how they get chosen. But he's the president for this year. And... Um, I think he, yeah, he seems to have given a number of speeches and said generally the right things, except got caught out a couple of times. Because um, at one point he said, um, I think this was in a debate or he was being questioned, and he said, there is no science out there or no scenario out there that says the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5, which is their 1.5 degree goal. Um Show me a roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuels that will allow for sustainable socio-economic development, unless you want to take the world back into caves. <laughs> Oops. <God laughs> oh, I, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> well, uh, he's right. Uh, he, he is right. Uh, but yet yeah, that yesterday or this morning, um, apparently the... Uh, countries in at the COP conference have agreed to phase out fossil fuel. Um I mean even the term fossil fuel by the way that 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 points to the lie fossils fuel that that's a whole nother podcast now but there's a there's there's a lie wrapped up in even that. But but yeah they they they've agreed to phase out fossil fuels. So um it sounds like they've disregarded his 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 good advice near the beginning of the conference. Mm. Um, sadly, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it it is it is it is a bit nuts, isn't it? And and meanwhile, of course, you know, China is is building new power stations all the time uh, because they need electricity to function uh, to make their economy grow. Um, and you know, countries like India will be doing the same. But uh, meanwhile, we. Um, we will just close power stations down actually in this country and mm. rely on the wind instead and the solar because the British Isles is well known for its sun. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, uh, it, it, it is, it feels like an onslaught or perpetuation of lies when you look at the reporting of something like uh, COP28. Um, I think, yeah. I, th I think it's maybe important to say that, um, you know, if you're listening and you haven't really thought about this topic before, and we've talked about it quite a lot um, on this podcast, but um, the issues around climate change, I mean, it's be it's become this term that's just bandied about and people don't really question it anymore. But, but issues of climate are very, very complex. And we don't understand, we, you know, ex many experts will say we, we still just, we really don't understand. It's a complete mystery how climate works, how these very complex systems we just don't understand and so the the issue comes down to well a, a number of things what one is is the climate changing because of course climate changes all the time and we have all these um you know we have a certain amount of records and then we and then going further back um of course there aren't records because we weren't measuring so that there's models and you know extrapolation of data and trying to work out what climate may have been doing you know a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or whatever um but we know that climate changes but what we don't know is why that happens and mm, yeah. so what we don't know at the moment is 
is the climate changing? And and if it is, what's causing it? We don't even know if it's changing, but if it, if it is, mm. could we be in a period of warming? Could we be in a period of cooling? We're not really sure. Some think we're going one way, some think another way. Um, but if it's changing, is it human beings that are causing it? Because there's all sorts of things that could be causing it. Exactly. Exactly. And if human beings are causing anything, is there anything we can do about it anyway? And would it make any difference? And if there are things that we could do about it, what will the implications of doing those things be? Yes. Like exactly. no fossil fuels, meaning, oh, well, that will probably mean that millions of people will no longer have heating, will no longer be able to cook food, will, you know, may, may die. So these are the sorts of questions that we need to be asking. Um, they absolutely, they absolutely are. Because um, I mean, it's quite interesting because they have the um, the government's climate minister. They have a they have a minister for climate now, apparently, um, who was sent. Uh, it was called recalled from COP twenty eight. To, to vote on the the recent um very recent um bill about uh sending uh, migrants to um Rwanda um and basically he he had to make a 6800 mile round trip to help uh his leader Rishi Sunak pass his new emergency bill and that that of course was was by bicycle that six thousand eight hundred mile round trip because this, this minister went was at the COP conference where travelling by plane is a big no no, um, and it's amazing, isn't it, when we see all the bicycles stacked up for world leaders at this conference <laughs> at the airport because that's where they they park their bicycles. So yeah, I mean honestly, I mean it's 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 like this is gaslighting on an industrial state scale. Is is this? I mean, it's just unbelievable um but it gets worse because we have um justin welby who if you don't know um is the archbishop of canterbury and he recently said christians believe that god has called us to care for the climate and for our neighbor to seek the welfare of the poor and bring about justice you see it, this makes me so cross helen it's a typical tactic used by um liberal leaning liberal christians if there is if there is such a thing as that i don't know um where they conflate two things in order to try and make their point so they'll they'll bring they'll say well actually yes um the bible does talk about caring for our neighbor it does uh the bible does talk about the welfare of the poor and justice it does what the bible doesn't talk about is caring for the climate <laughs> that's a lie nope. Justin Welby, a total lie. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't call us to care for the climate. It's utter, utter nonsense. And and this this is this is the this is I think actually the evil perpetrated in the name of the church by bringing God's word into disrepute. And this is the so-called leader of the Church of England uh, or the Anglican Communion, at least. Um, I know Church of England technically, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, and he go he goes on to does he go on to say this, Helen, or is it? Is yes, this just a yes. This is in his his um, speech or his video that he made for COP twenty eight. 
Um, yes, he says, in the Church of England, we have pledged to be a net zero carbon neutral church by 2030. Okay. Not I quite thought, sure how exactly he's going to do that. I but. thought I thought the Church of England generally was net zero carbon neutral anyway, because you go into many lovely cold. churches and they are amazing buildings, but they're jolly cold. Mm. Um, it works well in the summer, actually, because they're nice and cool in the summer. Um, but yes, um, and what does he say? I pray, I pray this meeting may be the one which brings that hope and life to a fragile and fearful world. I mean, that. So COP28 is going to bring hope and life to the world. Says, says the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, oh, in Advent, yes, 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 in Advent, when we're awaiting the arrival of Greta. Is it? Is it? Uh, I don't must know. Be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, or some new form of climate legislation, the advent of climate climate activism, maybe. I don't know. I just it's think he's forgotten know, what his job title is, actually. I'm not sure he ever... I'm not, I'm not sh I'm beginning to wonder if he ever... Uh, well, I need to be careful what I say, because I'll probably say something <laughs> I really shouldn't, but even though it might be right. But, but yeah, I've got no time for him at all. I, I, it, it's it's a shocker. I mean, look. I mean, let's just let's just point out the the blindingly obvious here. You know, I would love it. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Archbishop of Canterbury said, "In the Church of England, we 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 have pledged to proclaim the gospel in faithfully and fearlessly in every town, village, or city where we have where we have a church." We want to shine the light on to the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, especially at this time of Advent. And we're we're pledging to do this and to make sure that this is done totally, faithfully and well by 2030. Yes. <laughs> That's your job, Justin. Yeah. That's your job. That's your job. And God's job is to to worry about climate. Yeah. I I it's appalling. It's appalling. Um. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the king. Yeah. Let's not talk about well. Anymore. Yeah. So the king, King Charles. Um. Yeah. I mean, I. It, it, this this won't be a surprise when I read what he had to say. Um. But and and so I suppose you can't quite hold him to quite the same expectations as the Archbishop of Canterbury. But nevertheless, um. I think it's important to say when I read these bits out, whenever he talks about, it's very interesting, his speech that he gave to COP28, I looked up on his website. So I read it. And when you read it, every time he mentions nature, it has a capital N, mm. which is significant. Mm. So I'll, I'll start off um, the first bit. He says, as I have tried to say on many occasions, unless we rapidly repair and restore nature's unique economy based on harmony and balance, which is our ultimate sustainer, our own economy and survivability will be imperiled. Hmm. Um, shall I go on? Yeah, yeah. So remember, nature has a capital N every time. We are carrying out a vast, frightening experiment of changing every ecological condition all at once at a pace that far outstrips nature's ability to cope. As we work towards a zero-carbon future, 
we must work equally towards being nature positive. Uh, and then finally, we need to remember that the indigenous worldview teaches us that we are all connected, not only as human beings, but with all living things and all that sustains life. As part of this grand and sacred system, harmony with nature must be maintained. The Earth, capital E, the Earth does not belong to us. We belong to the Earth. I think that's a sermon, actually, isn't it? Uh, that 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 is that is a sermon. Um, and we were talking about this, weren't we, before we just started recording this? But yeah, your your point about his his um, capitalizing the word nature is is very interesting, and and it, and it is worth clocking. Um, and I think we were discussing that when, as Christians, when we talk about what we might what what Prince Charles is referring to as nature. It, we might be better served to use the word creation instead of the word nature. It's not saying you can't use the word nature, but just think about let's think about it for a minute. We're not giving agency to nature like Prince Charles is doing here. Um, we are, which is what can happen when we repeatedly talk about nature as if it's a person in its own right. Um, whereas if we get into the habit of maybe talking about what we would refer to as nature as being creation not only is that still accurate but it also points to the truth that there's a creator um, and i'm just reminded of the verse in the beginning of romans um uh, chapter 1 verse uh, 25 where it says they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And I think it's, yeah, it's just, it's just a small, it's a small point, but the words we use are, are actually really important because what they, what they actually do speak of is what's going on inside. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he's fallen into the trap, hasn't he, of, um, idolatry effectively yes. and uh gaia worship oh um, yeah definitely yeah. that's that's what it is and we, and we see a lot of that in our in our churches now as well sadly um mm. and yeah guy gaia gaia worship has seeped in it seeps in very easily through the the the, the climate activism climate change myth um in terms of man-made climate change um, yeah, yeah, and it's it's also the idea that that man is the problem mm. that the mm. that the earth would be perfect if it wasn't for human beings. Human beings are the problem, and effectively, if we weren't here, then the earth would be perfect. Everything would run as it should, and all would be well. It's a fascinating thing because where 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 um, where. Where I live, you know, there's a lot of lot of countryside, uh, as, as as there is where you live, Helen. But yes. but in terms of going, whenever it's in the new, the news, whenever the countryside is in the news, it's always talked about as being this is the domain of the animals in quotes, and the people need to be careful. The people need to um, not, you know, disturb nature in quotes when they go there, and. 
on one hand, you can sort of understand a sentiment there. But what they're actually really implying is that is that people aren't really we're not legitimate parts of this world. What they're actually really feeding is this idea that we are a blot on the landscape. And what they should be saying is really, we have just as much right to be here as the sparrows and the badgers. <laughs> and it's for us to use as it is for them. Furthermore, God says that we are to um we are to subdue the world, we are to care for it, not to worship it, we're to care for it, we're to work the land. It's there for our enjoyment and for us to, you know, use and to and to and to uh, keep looking good. But that but that's not yeah, that's very different to this idea that we are the the kind of the blot on the landscape, or that that somehow we need to suddenly switch to worshiping nature, uh, which is what the the climate change agenda seems to uh, repeatedly suggest. Yeah, I think we forget. Certainly in this country, um, most of what we would regard as nature, the animals and the plants and the um, wildlife live alongside human beings effectively i mean we have most of the land is farmed in some way is managed woodlands where you live you have the new forest which is a completely man-made um uh area and is managed by human beings it yeah. doesn't just yeah. it doesn't just exist it couldn't exist as it is without human beings managing it i understand that because i grew up there i know how it works um so <laughs> that that's the reality i'm afraid yeah, yeah exactly exactly and and the reason for us really kind of saying this is 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 again just trying to point out just 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 be always be on the lookout for for why things are said the way they are because there's often an agenda behind it there's there's, there's the, the and the agenda often in this case like prince charles and justin welby and, and others of their ilk is to is to essentially get us to comply and accept the narrative which they're pushing. And the narrative which they're pushing is a lie. It's a falsehood. Um, so, yeah, it's just something yeah. to... And, to it, and it's also is pushing God out of the picture. It, very much so, yes. Yeah. We, we can solve the problems. We've created these problems and we can solve them. And there's there's no need for God in, in that picture. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, when he says at the end, he's, uh, King Charles, the earth does not belong to us; we belong to the earth. I mean, again, there's there's elements of truth in that, insofar as you know, God says, "From dust you are taken; from dust you will go." Mm. Um, the fact that the earth doesn't belong to us because God's word says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it mm. <laughs> belongs to God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, you know, this is this is ultimately how the enemy, the devil, works. He he takes he takes the truth, twists it, and makes it a mm. half truth, and therein lies the deception. And that's what he did right at the beginning, of course, in the garden when he said to Eve, "Did God really say?" <laughs> and and we again, as Christians, you know, we've got all the help we need to spot this stuff. We are without excuse, um, so we do we do need to be spotting it, and we need to be calling it out, and we, and and in doing so, have that joyous moment of reminding ourselves and those around us as to the truth. 
and that is so vital. Um, anything you want to add on this, Helen? As we no, I th- no, come to I an think end? that's a it's a good place to finish there. Okay. Well, do you want to end it with this bit of scripture? Yes. Yeah, so, so what? Yeah, you were just mentioning there. Um, that's what immediately came to mind when um, when the king said, "The earth does not belong to us; we belong to the earth." And immediately, what came to mind is Psalm twenty-four, which says the beginning: "The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it." And that's so important to remember. Yeah. And it- then you know, if we remember that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He made it. He sustains it. Um, and as we've said many times before, Jesus is coming back, and mm-hmm. that will be at the right time. And when he comes back, we're told there'll be a new heaven, new heavens and new earth. Yes. Um, God is in control. He knows what he's doing, and we are not to worry. Indeed. We We need to... Um, we need to focus on today and trust that God will give us what we need for tomorrow and get on with the job that he's given us. Absolutely. That is, that is the task. And, and, and I think as well, just, yeah, just to kind of add to that, just as by way of encouragement, you know, that we belong to know that we belong to the Lord, isn't it? Mm. That, that we, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we belong to him and that's that's where that's where hope is found that's where salvation is is found um so yeah um i think we'll end it there shall we helen um so thank you for listening uh we hope this has been interesting uh encouraging exhorting challenging uh, if there's anything you want to message us about, whether it's something to encourage us or whether it's something you disagree with, whatever, do, do let us know. We always value feedback in any shape or form. You can find all the links to the various uh, things that we do, including Helen's sub- Substack on our uh, link tree. And you can also support the podcast through Buy Me A Coffee as well. That's always hugely valuable. Please share the podcast with people you think it would help um, and give a different uh, voice um, input into their life and their situation. Do do share it with people. There's you can listen to it on all sorts of different platforms. So it's really easy for people to subscribe to. Um, and anything else I need to add, Helen? Um, we've got a few more plans in the pipeline, which is good, yep. haven't we? Yes, we have. Yeah. Um, right. I think I think that's probably it then. So yep. thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. See you next time. Bye.